Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm Maddie, your host, speaker, and very passionate speech-language pathology advocate. You are listening to the Speechless SLP series with Vanessa Abraham, and you get a unique perspective in each one of these episodes on her journey being the speechless SLP in the ICU bed, unable to talk. So welcome to this series of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Glad you are here. Sit back, take a listen. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. This is another in our series of the Speechless SLP with Vanessa Abraham. And we have a special guest with her tonight. We have Laura Davis, who was one of her ICU nurses. She's going to talk about what it's like treating a critically ill SLP. So welcome, both of you. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, Laura, let's hear about who you are and why you do what you do. Why I do what I do. Well, I've been a ICU nurse on um, for the last 10 years, graduated in 2012 during the recession. I uh, started my career in organ procurement, then uh, swiftly went into bedside nursing, which organ procurement, what I did also was bedside nursing, just a little bit different. Knowing as like a, a newer nurse, I did not want to lose my skills. I worked up in the Bay Area at a level two trauma hospital Learned a lot up there, but once I came to my current hospital, UCSD, um, I just knew this is where I I wanted to be. I mean, um, serving the public, also utilizing my brain, my knowledge, growing autonomy, independence. Um, Nursing was definitely an avenue for myself as, I mean, I I was older getting my nursing career started. You know, I was single at the time, and I knew that no matter what, this was going to be an amazing career to to pursue. So that's one reason why I got into nursing. But also, I mean, I just fell in love with it. I've only been an ICU nurse. I do know how to do all the other different roles in nursing, um, lower acuity type nursing. However, working at UCSD, the teaching hospital, again, utilizing my brain, constantly learning. It's always a, mm-hmm. a chance to learn, reflect on what you do. And knowing that not only am I touching my patients' lives, my patients' families' lives, the doctors' lives, you know, my coworkers' lives, it is very involved and um, it's very self-gratifying. I'm proud of what I do. I, um, you know, I serve my community and that's really, really what it comes down to. It's a selfless job. It's a job that, I wouldn't say job, it's a career, a career path that if I wanted to go further in it, I can. I choose to stay at bedside. And work with, again, the public, my people, my community, all different age ranges. Age ranges. Um, we don't work with children where I'm at. It is, it is an adult ICU. But um, it's a very fulfilling, honorable job. And to be able to know I'm giving back to the community, mm-hmm. um, don't need the praise for it. A lot of people, especially during these COVID times, oh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. It's like, I, don't, I, I guess I'm just kind of born to be, I'm a natural nurturer. I, I care for what's going on. I want people to be able to do better in their lives so they can live a fulfilled life. And uh, I guess it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, it's become my passion. And um, I get very excited when I do hear students or people in their, you know, changing careers that they, you know, would love to do nursing. I'm very, very passionate about like educating and influencing um, anyone who ever wanted to follow that career. So, but it has been very fulfilling being able to just leave it at work and come home and still live a fulfilled life. I don't, 
You know, I don't harbor any negative. I don't harbor any burnout. I know nurses get a lot of burnout, but um, it is something that I love going to my job every day. And it's not just because of what I do. It's who I work with, the environment mm-hmm. I in, knowing everything that I uh, that I get to see on a daily. And, and all, like I said, again, it's not just I close my eyes and the monotony of a job, pushing papers, and, and I'm not downplaying anybody's career or job choice or whatever. But for me, you know, I'm challenged every day. And uh, knowing that I see a difference with these uh, patients that are in their most vulnerable states, very rewarding, very, very rewarding that to have a hand in that. Vanessa, do you remember what it was like when you first met Laura? You know, I remember her, my initial memory of her is being my night nurse. Okay. Um, I know there were times before that, but due to sedation, meditation, I don't remember. But I remember her at night helping me off a cliff, like, Mm-hmm. To the point that, you know, I was so highly anxious that she was always there just offering comfort. That was my initial, my initial memory. That's a, oh. that's a, that's a good memory. Somebody there in the middle of the night in the dark. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In the middle of the night, dark, 2 a.m. She was just so comforting to me during those moments that you wake up. And you're like, where am I? What am I doing here? She was there. Well, and that's, this is Laura, um, if I can just uh, speak to that, uh, you know, Vanessa, coming into, again, I know we were very, very close in age, just a couple of years off, but coming into your room, knowing that you knew everything that was going on, ICU can be very scary. You know, they say we're scared of what we don't know mm-hmm. and what we're not familiar with. And even myself, until I had my own daughter, I didn't I wasn't familiar with the hospital setting. I mean, yes, being an ICU nurse, but I'd never been in the hospital. And at that time, I still didn't have a child myself. So I had never been admitted to the hospital as sick as, you know, Vanessa was. To be able to be her nurse and only understanding the environment that she's in, I wanted to be able to give you some comfort and some like, hey, it's going to be okay. And we are here to help you. And it's very scary, but to be able to, you know, talk to her and explain to her like these are this is why you have this going on this is why we're doing this this is why the doctors keep coming in I mean Vanessa you took it like a soldier I mean you really did you were so you communicated so well with us even when you couldn't talk and for you to stay as calm as you did not having your family around at the time because I know that your husband had to deal with you know with your little one at the time and whatnot but Trusting us to be able to take care of you. I mean, the one thing I could do is try to make your environment feel comfortable and not so scary and that it's going to be okay. You're not going to be here forever. And just giving some sort of hope. And it's not false hope. It wasn't false hope whatsoever. I mean, I knew you had probably a really long road. Again, I don't see any of my patients that leave the ICU. I don't know what happens to them. So to see you come back full-fledged is, I mean, it's it's a miracle. Because a lot of people don't have that recovery, but mm-hmm. your perseverance in your recovery was amazing. And if there's a little small part that I can add to that, I mean, I'm going to try to make it as comfortable as possible. And I think, you know, I, I was scared for you. I would have been scared myself. And so to be able to kind of be that little like light at the beginning of the tunnel, the end of the tunnel, wherever, you know, you were in your recovery, I mean, if I could provide that comfort, that's, I mean, it's all all part of it, you know, but 
again, because we were so close in age, it's like I can imagine myself being in the situation that you're that you're in. So a lot of your your drive, Laura, comes from the passion and the empathy, compassion and the empathy you have for oh, the person that you're treating. Yes. Most definitely, most definitely. You know, um, speaking of just other different types of patients that we get, you know, we get some homeless patients. We get patients who are addicted to drugs and for whatever walks of life, we all have a story, right? We all have trauma. We all have whatever. We're not there to judge. Mm-hmm. We're not there to make anybody feel bad about their situation. You know, that's not why people get into nursing. I mean, yes, we take an oath, but it's also about the character of like who you are. And, you know, it's again, you come in, maybe have a drug overdose. Somebody may have a drug overdose. So somebody may just, you know, be down in their luck and, you know, in the worst possible health conditions, but we're not there to judge. We're there to mm-hmm. help you get better, to help you get to a point where you can at least walk out of the hospital or at least get better to go to a lower acuity unit, meaning a less sick unit and yep. still live your life. You know, things happen. And that's like one great thing about healthcare in California. We don't turn away anybody who comes to the ER. It doesn't matter if you have, if you're the richest person in the country or the mm-hmm. poorest person in the country, what your walk of life is. It doesn't matter. We're there to help you. And I think that that's like, you know, compassion for all nurses. You know, I mean, they have, they have it all. They have this, hey, this is what's happening. This is how we can help you. I mean, you can only lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. However, we still fight the good fight to help those people get them to at least the baseline that they were at before they came to us in their situation. So having that compassion, it's not our place to judge. It's not our place to, you know, pass negative thoughts or negative attitude. It's there, it's there literally it's to help and to be that, I guess, guiding light and maybe that support that those, you know, these patients don't have. Even, I mean, Vanessa, I know you had tons of support. You had your family, but in that instance, even at night, and those lonely nights when your family couldn't be there, we're your support. We're those patients' support. You know, oh. it's a very intimate job. It really is. How did you do that, Laura? How did you provide that support in the middle of the night when she was alone in ICU and didn't have that family or friends? Well, I remember coming in, and I mean, I do do this with most of my, uh, with all of my patients, especially. I mean, again, she was. We didn't know what was wrong with her. Mm-hmm. We didn't know, and so um, you know, she was intubated. She couldn't talk. She started having the use of one of her left hands to be able to write a little bit. But I, you know, I come in there and um, she was awake. She wasn't on uh, any sedation the night that I had her. So she was awake, you know, with this ventilator in her mouth, which is a very uncomfortable thing. And she was so calm to be able to like control her breathing, her mental state. And just coming in very calmly, we try to keep the room very calm for her. Mm-hmm. Um, putting signs out the door, you know, saying, please be quiet, you know, patient resting, but going in and introducing myself, letting her know that I'm here, that I understand the situation she's in. If she needs anything, please don't feel scared that you're bothering me. Don't, you know, I just tried to reassure her that I was there for her, um, in any way or manner that she needed. I remember, I think I was starting to give her a foot massage at one point kind of relaxed her a little bit and uh there was one other nurse who started putting lavender <laughs> oil in the lotion all of her Vanessa's thumbs up. yeah she was she was and she was like pointing to like <laughs> over the counter and my mom oh the lavender lotion oh, oh I'm nice. and so like you know and like making sure she had like her her little stuffy teddy bear there like and wow. i mean just anything i mean her if if her head was kinked if she didn't like it i mean she couldn't 
move her body. So being able to make her as comfortable as possible, turning the lights on, making sure she had her phone within arm's reach, making sure she had her little writing board and her eraser, her call light, if she wanted music or not music, if it was loud or too loud, too much light, uh, letting her know, hey, if I have to draw these labs, do you want me to do this when you're more awake? Do you want me to do this now? You uh-huh. know, really just giving her the power and like, you know, she was my only patient that night. The perspective. Yeah, her, the choices. She, yeah, you know, she is a patient. We're there to, yes, like do the things that we need to do medically, but also make her feel like you, this, because she was awake. And again, in her state, a lot of patients are not awake. They don't really know what's going on um, just because of like medically induced comas, but she wasn't in a medically induced coma. She was fully awake. And I think that she mm-hmm. actually wanted to be that way. So she understood what was going on. And um, it is a little bit harder to recover when you are sedated in that sense and waking up out of sedation. It's just a, a lot harder on your body to wake up. And I think that she she was a trooper. And to be able to keep her in that calm, relaxed state naturally, yeah. I tried the best I could do, yeah. you know, um, giving her a little sleep covers for her eyes and things like that. And uh, it's part of it, you know. How did you overcome some of the communication challenges you had with her being nonverbal? So again, um, we work with this all the time. She, let's see. And when I worked with her, she was using her hands. But if I didn't, I mean, she was using one of her hands she could write with. I think she even started writing with her left hand because she couldn't write with her right hand if I remember or regardless. So since she was awake, a lot of times uh, we will, if uh, patients don't have um, use of the, the dexterity of being able to hold a pen, I mean, we get really, we get really good at following, you know, mouthing of words, mm-hmm. um, nodding the head, blinking of eyes. I didn't start this with her, but I can only imagine they started this with her before she got the use of her hand again. But, you know, we do ABC boards. We do picture boards. We'll even start narrowing it down to does it, you know, pointing to the body parts? Does it have to do with your foot? Does it have to do with your back? Does it have to do with this arm? It's this, this. And then we start guessing. And I mean, being in that environment for so long, you can kind of start narrowing it down, you know, blink twice for yes, once for no. But again, she was able to use her, she was able to write, which was nice. But when working with other patients, they don't have that ability sometimes, or they're, you know, the medic, you know, they may be awake, right. but they're kind of like right. a lucid state. So, you know, just seeing them being able to write like a J, you know, just like the, the downwards with the hook or like a T and then they, they write a W and you really just kind of, it's kind of like a game of charades, you know? What would you do to improve the augmentative communication or communication in the medical ICU setting or just the medical setting? Communication. I mean, we, um, we do have, again, like these letter boards, um, a lot of patients, you know, we do use, uh, for the patients that can speak and things like that, we do use these, uh, these uh, second language devices. They're called the Marty device, which is a video device. Mm-hmm. And it has, I don't know, over like 200 languages. But patients who can't talk, who are intubated, again, we use nonverbal communication. We try to point. We try to use common things that we may think that they need, you know, pain medication. Give us a thumbs up if they can. We use a lot of physical therapy. I mean, our physical therapists and um, speech pathologists, um, once patients can speak, I believe, you know, when Vanessa was able to get the tube out of her throat, because a lot of patients, they can't have that tube in their throat for too long. It starts breaking down their, the tissue and things like that. It's not meant long-term. So patients do have to end up getting a, a tracheostomy in their throat, which a lot of patients are very, and family members are very 
scared about doing, but it's not necessarily a permanent thing. It can always be reversed. Like in Vanessa's case, if you are on a ventilator for so long and then trying to go to, you know, if you do get a tracheostomy, all of that atrophy in your muscles start, you know, they, they start getting weak and you have to retrain. And I mean, our speech pathologists, our physical therapy, I mean, they work diligently to rehab, rehabilitate our patients. Vanessa was a soldier, like I tell you. She, again, when she was communicating, she could write on her board with me, but she couldn't move her feet. She couldn't move whatever, you know. She would kind of point a little bit or write it down, so that was really nice. But I remember, you know, hearing, you know, physical therapy coming in and, like, working with her, and her just, like, she was so determined to get her function back that she, I, I, like I said, she excelled so quickly. She, she just had that mindset. Um, but when I remember she did have to get um, a tracheostomy, and I wasn't there that day because it was during day shift, but they had her going through our unit on a ventilator <laughs> attached to her throat, attached to her throat after, after working with physical therapy enough times, doing squats and walking wow. around our unit. I mean, I've never seen that in the 10 years of being a nurse. I've never seen that. We always talk about like um, ICU liberating, like getting patients to get up and walk around on the ventilator. Yeah, right. That never happens. Our one thing is trying to get them off the ventilator and then let's start working with PT, but PTOT, speech therapy. But um, one thing with speech therapy that's really nice is, you know, if they do have to get a tracheostomy, then we start working with what's called a passamere valve, which is like the little cuff that goes over your tracheostomy, um, if you can tolerate it to where you I can worked with one today. Vocal cords. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, uh, a lot of patients with tracheostomies, if they can't necessarily speak um, or they can, we could um, uncuff it to mean it's still in your throat, but you can start passing food and eating and drinking and swallowing. But it's all about repetition of the muscles. And that's, again, speech therapy. We really don't mess around with it in the hospital. If you have any type of like asymmetrical tongue deviation, mouth deviation, if you're just, if you're, we have with a lot of stroke patients, if it, there's anything that's wrong with like your, the mechanics of your mouth and voice, you know, we, mm-hmm. we rehab it and we don't, we take it very slow. So you don't aspirate, you know, get things in your lungs and cause pneumonia. And then you have to go back on the ventilator because now you have pneumonia and you're sick again. I mean, it just can be catastrophic to like the downside if we rush it too fast. But with Vanessa, again, she was so determined and she was so determined for her little girl. And her family, like she kept on saying every time, I mean, even when I was her nurse, I'd come in and be like, how are you doing girl? She's like, I'm working for her. I'm working for her. Yeah. And that's exactly, it's like, that's, that was her determination. And I've never seen somebody turn around with what was going on with her so fast. But I mean, we have to also thank our speech pathologists and all of our speech and language therapists that, you know, take their time. They know what mm-hmm. they're doing. Our PTOT, physical um, therapy, you know, um, occupational therapy, getting, you know, brushing your teeth because none of her muscles worked, none of them. And to be able to get that function back, I mean, the neurons take forever. They're mm-hmm. some of the slowest things to like rehab. And for her mind has just said that I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. I need to get back to my little girl. So, so I- it was, it was a really, it was really nice to see all that, um, all that happened for her so fastly, so swiftly, and how um, determined she was. 
Well, this whole episode is flying by. We only have like 10 minutes left. Vanessa, we've hardly taken a breath. Is there anything you want to add? Because I have like two more questions for Laura. Yeah, it just kind of brings a smile to my face when she says that I was a soldier because I felt like I was the furthest thing from being a soldier. I felt so weak and terrified. And um, I think I even mentioned this in one of the other podcasts about just everybody was always there for me. Laura definitely was always there for me. And I never wanted to let anyone down. The team there was so phenomenal that every time they came into my room, I always wanted to rise the challenge. Not only because I didn't want to be there, and I knew as an SLP, and Laura, you always said this too, is the curse of a nurse. Well, it's kind of like the curse of being an SLP is, hey, you know that in order to get out of here, you got to work. And and I, I wanted to get out of there, and I knew I had to work for it, but I also didn't want to let my team down. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to let my nurses down. They were working so hard to keep me comfortable and keep me keep my mood lifted and I just didn't want to let them down every time the PT OT speech everybody came in my room I was just like okay I've got to fight hard because I know from a speech therapist point that hey look it's a lot of work to I know it's part of the job but to come in there and like Laura says putting lavender on my feet they were going above and beyond in every way to make me so comfortable that I didn't want to fail them I didn't want them to think, oh, there's that one patient in room, whatever, that just sits there in her bed all day and she doesn't do anything. I was wanted to be the one that's like, all right, you guys get in here. Let's get out of this chair. I never wanted to let them down. I wanted to, I wanted everybody to be, like, proud of me. It was really weird how that is, but I think that's... Well, we, yeah, and, and we were, Vanessa. We totally were. Like I say, I still talk about your story to this day. I still talk about your story to this day. What has it been, like, almost four years or something like that? Like amazing it's amazing i mean we were so proud of you we we're and anyways it's just you didn't let any of us down for one we were just like jaw dropping when like you're sitting there doing squats and <laughs> i mean I, I wish i was there i wish i was there to like see it actually are you gonna have pictures in your book vanessa speechless when it comes out well i don't really have any icu pictures it's kind of weird because i insisted whenever my anybody would bring out the camera with the way I knew how I looked, I hadn't showered in you know weeks, and I knew that oh I'm never not going to want to look back on these pictures. But now that it's in the past, I kind of wish uh, there were some pictures um, just to see how bad I you know I do remember how bad I was, but um, just to see the the pictures. I do have pictures with my team when I did come back to ICU after the fact. You know those big, will be in the book. A big homecoming with um, you know speech and some of my doctors and stuff like that, but. We want to do the lightning round before we run out of time. All right, in one minute or less, you ready, Laura? You up for the challenge? Okay, oh, okay, what's a lightning round? <laughs> we just, just we got a minute answer. to answer. So, so when we okay. plan for this podcast, Vanessa and I put together all these questions. And so I want to make sure that we get through them because there's a lot of listeners on here who are like, I've got some of these questions. So in a minute or less, how any strategies for working effectively alongside an SLP from the nursing perspective? Any strategies? Um, definitely, if, um, if you do have to work with an, an SLP, I mean, always communicate with your nurse first. You don't mm-hmm. know how tired that like patient's been. You don't know what yep. they've done during the night, if they slept, you know. Um, and then also communicate what the patient's done. If they're like refusing treatment, 
if they're if they've had an issue, if there's anything that's wrong. I mean, if there's anything that any other type of like interventions that they can think of to help the patient, like, Hey, we tried A, B, C, and D. We can't, you know, we don't know where else to go, but definitely collaborate with the team, collaborate with your nurses, collaborate with your doctors, you know, put in notes. You know, there's always like a good note that we can like go back to. Cause I mean, it may be a week, week and a half before, you know, someone else comes around and also have like the SLPs on, Every single day. It's a bummer when they're only there Monday through Friday because then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the work that like a patient's done, they can lose it within two days, especially if they've like, you know, they've come so far. It's like one step forward, two steps back. So that's definitely another thing. It's like it's something that needs to be in the hospital that needs to be addressed every day. You know, once if you know, if somebody's not passing their swallow eval or they're having some sort of like verbal issues, whatever. I mean, it needs to be addressed right away, not till Monday, not till whatever, but and then definitely collab with everybody, all of the team members, because there may be something else going on that we don't know. And, you know, they're just they're one part of it, but they're also mm-hmm. a huge mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would think or suggest. So next question, what does a typical interaction between a nurse and an SLP look like? Oh, um, well, uh, most of the times, you know, they come during the daytime. Generally, they're very, uh, the ones that we work with at UCSD, they're, you know, they're very polite. They definitely want to help everybody. Some, you know, we try to forewarn them if, you know, patients are being very verbally abusive or if they're, you know, depressed in some way and they don't want treatment. Um, but again, we collaborate. Sometimes we have to go down and do like video, video swallows. So, um, working side by side, I mean, it's just, they're another one of our team members. It's like, it's just another part of nursing without having the title of being a nurse. I mean, that's the same thing with like respiratory therapists, physical, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, all the different ancillary teams, they're still part of the team. And so they're there exactly for the same reasons and they do their job. It's just a specified job. So, I mean, I give my hats off to them because they do do so much that I don't, I, I can't do. I can do if I learn the skill, but I can't do everything as a nurse, as a bedside nurse. I'm there for specific jobs, specific, you know, so having their skill, their expertise is definitely, I mean, it is a huge part of like recovering in ICU. So we've made it through all of the questions except one. Last question okay. is, what advice do you have for a new SLP or a graduate student on working with nurses? You kind of already answered um, that. Definitely. Yeah, definitely get Deep to know dive. your team. I mean, exactly. Um, I mean, anybody new grad is very scary to go into, you know, certain mm-hmm. environments with people that you don't know. But um, always have an open mind. Always know that, you know, some nurses are, are not going to be as friendly as others, but it doesn't mean it's anything personal. You know, do your job. Um, always know that there's learning points that you're going to come across. You're not going to know everything. I mean, you know, healthcare in general, you learn something new every single day. Definitely know your team and know your outlets. Like if something does happen, like, do you know how to call code? Do you know how to call for help? You know, know your resources because I mean, when you're, when you're working with someone's airway, they can, they can have a mucus plug and you're the only one in there and you don't know who to call. So that's like what I always tell any any new grads or anybody who's new to like ICU, always have a plan B of what you would do in an emergency, who to call, who to look for. And if you don't, you yell out to the room because yes, these are my two patients in the ICU, but not really. Every single patient on my ICU is my patient. You know, they're not just, we're all there to help. 
and make sure that you have, you know, your resources. What Just your resources are very important, but what to do in an emergency is very important because, again, working with that, you know, those airways, you know, it's not just, you know, speech speech and language. I mean, it's the whole, it's the whole, you know, the trachea, the, the esophagus, everything that anything mm-hmm. can happen at any time. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of clamming up, always know how to call for help and who, who to go to, you know, just good communication, basically. That's excellent. Excellent, excellent advice. I'm glad we did that deeper dive. I wasn't sure if I wanted to loop around to that question, and I did, and you just gave me so much with that answer. Thank you. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yes, definitely. Final comments, Vanessa? No, I just, I love hearing her speak. Um, Mm -hmm. I think everything she says about the relationship between SLPs and nurses, now that I've lived the other side of it, um, it was fascinating for me in a terrible situation to see the interaction. And hearing Laura's comments and and thoughts on how the two disciplines work together, um, I I was fortunately unfortunate to be able to see that relationship unfold, and it was really fascinating for me to see that relationship and see them collaborating with each other. And I thought it was just really remarkable what they did as a team for me. So, from your perspective, yeah. what would you what advice would you give to SLPs working with nurses? Oh, everything Laura just said, keep those, keep that communication going. The nurses have so much valuable input that have, because the nurses are there 12 hours a day with the patient. They're there. Mm-hmm. The nurses are primarily the ones talking to the families. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of communication with the families. So they know the family dynamic. They know what the patient's goals are. Um, obviously, speech can figure that out as well. But the nurses are there so mm-hmm. often. They get to, you know, Laura and I, we were... You know, more on a personal level, she knew that I wanted the lavender lotion. Well, speech didn't want that. And didn't Not that they didn't want that, but they didn't know that. And it's nothing against them, but just Laura was there with me all night long. And when you're with right. somebody all right. night long, you get to really intimately know them. Right. So my advice would just be keep that communication, keep those nurses on your side because they are amazing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my in my training, when we go up on a medical floor, the first place we go after the chart review is to talk to the nurse. We do the chart review to figure out where, what we can gather from the chart, how they're doing, everything else. And then we go and we, we check in with the nurse. We don't need to have the nurse tell us things that we can find in the chart, go look what we need to. But that nurse just puts the finishing touches on everything. Here's how your patient's doing. Or here's how our patient's doing. Here's the what they have lined up for a test this morning, their MPO till here or there. But that communication is just so, so important as part of the team. And how the, the nurses know how the patient's doing emotionally. You know, there yeah. were many highs and lows within an yeah. hour period for me. And yeah. my nurses would know that, okay, you know, it's 2 a.m. and she's feeling this or it's 2 p.m. and she's feeling this. So um, they, they are definitely in connect or in yeah. connection with, yeah. That patient. Well, thank you both for coming on. Thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. Anytime. Thanks, Laura. Great. We'll, All right. Thank you. We may pull you back another time. Thanks. That's okay. I'm here. I'm here. Hey, use me. I'm good. <laughs> so, hey, SLPs, that concludes this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Please visit my website at freshslp.com, follow me on Instagram, or jump on Facebook to connect in our safe and friendly Fresh SLP community, where we are empowering new and transitioning SLPs. If 
you found value in this episode or in any way had an aha moment or I gave you a fresh perspective, please show me some SLP love and support me on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or subscribe to me on YouTube. You got this.